welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Molly Ponfidit, and today I am here with a very special guest, Felicia Johnson. Felicia is a best-selling author, she's a speaker, and she's a mental health advocate, and she's been doing this for over 10 years in this field, and we're delighted to, to have her on our show today. Thank you so much, Felicia, to be, for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on, Molly. It's truly an honor. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Well, Felicia sent uh, me a copy of her her book, and um, I haven't had a chance to really dive into it, but I did start to uh, take a look and read the um, the introduction. And I will tell you, you know, this topic and and the the book is called Her. And I, I actually want you to talk a little bit about this. Let me let me share my thoughts on it afterwards. But can you tell us a little bit about her and the inspiration for the book and we know where, where did that come from? Sure. Yes. Um, it's it's a very personal story for me. Her. Um, it started when I was a kid, honestly, and I, ha- I had a best friend named Holly who struggled with uh, a mental illness called per- borderline personality disorder, and some people call it BPD for short. Um, and I remember, you know, she was like my best friend, but unfortunately I lost Holly to suicide and I always wanted to understand what really was going on in the mind, you know, of someone who struggled with that disorder and, you know, not, I mean, I have my own struggles. I struggle with bipolar depression and I just, BPD for some reason was really, really stuck out to me because it was so, it's such a complex disorder. Um, and so when I started studying uh, clinical psychology in school, which I earned my degrees in, I decided I wanted to write something that would help other people understand what BPD is, but not just told through a story, um, not just told through a textbook either. I wanted to write a fictional account of someone, uh, a person who could take you into the mind of someone who struggles with mental illness, particularly in this story, her, um, the main character struggles with borderline personality disorder. And within the story, it's sort of a journey that you're on because you meet this main character, Holly. She's 17 years old and she's dealing with some really deep issues like depression. She's self-harming. She's has angry outbursts and she's not understanding why she's having so many so much problems within herself so she ends up um, being put into a hospital um, after a failed suicide attempt and there she's diagnosed with BPD and she starts to learn about her disorder she meets other people other peers who are struggling with their own sets of um, mental health issues and then a staff of doctors who care about the children in their care so you're on a journey with her from her breakdown through her treatment and education to her eventual recovery. So is while there are deep elements to the story, deep and dark things there, it is a story that is full of hope 
it tells a story that people can relate to and engage with, but it also has the heart of a textbook because it has real clinical information written within the text. So you're learning with the character. So when you're reading the book and you feel like, you know, you're discovering things with her, you're learning things with her and her mind is sort of changing. You may feel like you're going a little crazy. That's okay because you're reading the book correctly because you're in the mind of someone who's broken down, goes from the mind of someone broken down to someone who is learning how to heal in their recovery. Well, you know, when I picked up the book and, and I received it in the mail and I opened up and I saw the cover and I picked it up and I thought to myself, even before I started really getting into the mist of reading it, um, you know, being being a woman, being actually being a human being uh, and living this thing called called life, I think we all have human struggles, right? A lot of questioning and we're always trying to find solutions to things or make sense of things. I think that's how the human brain works. And one thing that came to mind was whether we're clinically diagnosed with some form of something, whatever that something is, right? That form of of fill in the blank. uh, We all have struggles. We all have moments where we're trying to find clarity around whatever that issue or that challenge in our moment, our life is. And then I thought, well, if we all go through this experience, but we don't really feel comfortable and safe enough to share our challenges or our emotional turmoil or whatever that fill-in-the-blank thing is uh, that we want to call it, it makes it difficult to... um, to feel like it's normal, that we all have these type of experiences. And I think that's really where sometimes we miss the mark as a society and categorizing people as abnormal or something's wrong. And there are extremes to that spectrum. I understand that, Felicia, but my point is I think it also starts with us having conversations where we all can admit openly and with love that We all experience challenges and emotional ups and downs, and we don't have to feel so alone in the world where we hide it and think that it's wrong to actually have a human experience considering the fact that we're all human beings. Right. I like, I love what you said just now that we just need to talk about it. We need to open up. A lot of people don't know how to do that. Um, Like you said, you made a great point of saying that there are people some people just don't feel safe. Um, I think that the way that we can encourage more people, especially our young people, when they're going through this and they're just trying to figure it out, right? They're trying to understand what they're going through, these hormonal changes, these erratic thoughts. And if they are struggling with some sort of mental health issue, how can they not feel different if they do speak up? My best advice is to go to those resources, those people who you know care about you, um, who you know that it is okay to open up to because it'll come out in other ways. Like for me, I used to self-harm because I didn't know how to talk about it. Yes, I did a lot of journaling and writing and that did make me feel safe, but there's nothing like having that human connection someone to look at you with empathy and sympathy and even relate to you. There might be someone else who's going, who's out there going through the same thing you're going through. There's nothing like having that connection to another human um, and somebody giving you the validation saying to you that you are not weird. (laughs) This is, you're just human and you're going through something right now and it's okay. 
to feel angry. It's okay to feel sad and upset. We, we look at like social media and everything. Everybody's always taking pictures of them smiling and, you know, in these great moments, nobody ever takes a picture of themselves crying or, um, you know, showing themselves in a very depressed state. The reason why is because we always, we feel like we always have to be happy. We always have to advertise that our life is good, that we're making these great strides in life, but it's not always like that. So I think that we should encourage each other to talk more to each other, sometimes if possible, face to face, rather than through a text message, because that does help draw that connection closer. Mm. Well, you know, I think that your, your friend and the experience of losing her to suicide um, definitely was an inspiration behind this book. But I also want to talk about your own personal journey, because you've come through on your, you know, just with your own journey, with your own story, uh, you survived uh, child abuse. And and you're also, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about homelessness and what it feels like to be a teenager experiencing all this, because I don't think that your experience is unique in the sense that I think a lot of young folks and teenagers and preteens are going through this coming of age, like trying to find their way. And how did you manage to find your way in sharing what you're doing now and being able to advocate for these, you know, these, this health and wellness and mental health uh, coming from where you were? How did you crawl out of that? How did you find that strength to know that what you were experiencing can be something of greater greater good for our communities it, it really was a long journey I, I i know i've only been here for 30 something years on this planet but i feel like i've lived a long life and learned many many lessons um but two major lessons that that i i learned the most there are two that stands out of the most the first one is learning about yourself educating yourself that each day that you're able to wake up and if you have faith I, I myself, my biggest thing that kept me going was spirituality, faith, no matter what was going on, I always kept faith. And that was a big thing for me. So no matter how tragic your circumstances are, if you, if you allow yourself to believe in something, have faith in something, even if it's just yourself and your abilities, stick to it. Don't let that go. Don't let whatever faith you have go. And the second one is forgive. The second major lesson is forgiveness. Um, you, there's so much to forgive. First, you have to forgive yourself because what happened to you, what happened to me, being abused, being homeless, you know, going through those things when other people were supposed to take care of me for a long time, I did blame myself. That's why I did self harm for a long time. It became an addiction for me. You know, I had to forgive myself and say, accept the fact that it was not my fault, those things. It happened, but it wasn't my fault. I didn't allow those things to happen. It just did. And then you forgive the people who hurt you. Um, that was a journey <laughs> within itself. After forgiving myself, I had to learn how to educate myself on how to forgive others and then eventually grasp the appreciation for that. And then thirdly, the other thing I had to learn to forgive and continue to um, 
teach myself how to forgive is time. You have to forgive time because time is unforgivable. It will not wait for you. It will keep moving forward. It will keep going. And eventually, yes, we all will run out of it. But you can't go back in time. You can't change things. What happened, happened. The only thing you can really do is to wait. The way to, to work with time is to use it. Use it to move forward and give yourself the time that you have to heal. So time doesn't have to be our enemy. It can actually be good for us if we learn to just forgive it as well. Let me ask you this. You said something that was very strong and very powerful. And you said, you know, learning to forgive myself and then learning to forgive others. How does one learn? What are some of the steps, the actual tangible steps? Because we're all in this together. We all Mm -hmm. need to learn how to do this on a daily basis. You know, we have negative self-talk all the time. We blame ourselves for making silly, stupid mistakes. And we we can actually, if we're mindful and we notice what's going on around us, we can actually hear that little self-talk roar yes. at us on, on a, on a moment-by-moment basis. So when you're wor- doing this work of personal development and self-actualization and noticing and being mindful, what were some of the actual tactics and steps that help you to do something like forgive oneself? And then, of course, the hard work of forgiving others. And I think that's that's kind of like a difficult thing to say, right? Because we can say that the hard work is forgiving others, but sometimes the hardest work is forgiving ourselves. Yes, it is. Oh, let me tell you, <laughs> there are always times. And I, I'm sure you know what I mean I when do. I say that. There are always times where you just want to go back. You want to look at what you've done. You want to criticize yourself. Um, it's it's not always easy. It's not. But you brought up actually one of the steps just now when you said when we're mindful, that is the hugest step. Mm. Practicing mindfulness, being aware of ourselves, even if it's just taking five minutes to sit in silence and notice your breathing and you're looking at your chest rise and fall, looking at your fingertips, you know, looking at each tiny cell You have to be with yourself in order to forgive yourself. You have to look at yourself. You have to be in that body, in your spirit, in your mind, and be mindful of each and every breath that you take. And then you can get to a point where you start to accept that you are who you are and that things that have happened, happened. And take each and every step thereafter that. And I talk about a lot about this in my workshops. And forgiveness is the biggest, biggest step in healing. Um, and then the, another big step when we're talking about forgiving ourselves as well as forgiving others is, and this is the hardest one, is once you forgive, now you have to let go. Now, we're not saying, I'm not saying let go like as in, forgive and forget, like forget what happened to you. Don't ever forget because you you don't want it to happen to you again. You don't want to repeat the same mistakes or have somebody else take advantage of you again. You don't want to forget those things. But when I say let go, you've, you've forgiven. So now there's no point in going back to those feelings of darkness that puts you back to 
you know, hating yourself, self-negative talk, or whenever you might see the person who hurt you, you going, being triggered to the point where you're hurting someone else or yourself, you, you have to let that part go once you've forgiven, where you're not trying to hurt yourself or other people and possibly get yourself in a, in a situation that is not good for you. You know, so those are two major steps in the process that I think are worth noting. Right. You also mentioned, uh, you know, that it's about being mindful and and taking that step and learning what that actually means and then physically doing that, right? Taking your body and and practicing this thing called mindfulness. But for for us, uh, with mentorship and also with years of experience, we're able to speak at that at that level at that point. How do you? Because this is the work that you do. How do you reach out to our the young community? You know, our our teens and preteens and even um, young adults that are experiencing this. How do we actually? advise them to be mindful are they open to it how do we get them to even understand what it means to them I mean, they're they're at this coming of age time you know they're they're kind mm-hmm. of denying what's really maybe even going on because they don't want to even confess or admit that this is happening in their world so how do you reach our young minds to 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 accept or to even consider uh, learning what mindfulness is and taking time for self and self-love and self-worth where do you begin well, it takes, it, everyone's different. We're all born with different personalities, right? We're all, we all have our different vices and things. I think uh, the first step really for anybody, though, anybody who is seeking to learn what mindfulness truly is, I think it's just making a connection. That's the first step for anybody, because how can you, you know, how can you get everybody interested? Everybody's different. I mean, chocolate may work for some people. Hugs may work for some people. But whatever it is, it, it you have to connect with them. You have to open a dialogue. You have to start talking. And then, you know, not just talking, also listening. You know, create a safe place. Create a safe space where somebody feels comfortable enough to open themselves up enough to connect with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's go into this um, this topic of mental health and wellness. When you're traveling and you're speaking and you're advocating and you have your workshops to talk about this with our our youth as well as, you know, friends and, and families of those right. individuals, uh, what are some of the topics you share and you, you talk about? What are some of the questions, the most frequently asked questions that come to you as an advocate and as someone who is a, an expert in this field, uh, not only just from the person experiencing or just being diagnosed or figuring out like what's going on with me, but also their loved ones, their family, their friends. Uh, can you share a little bit about the emotional part of what it means to f- experience and face mental health issues? Yes, absolutely. Um, I always tell people you know when they come to sit down in the room right before I get into the whole presentation I just I ask everybody to take a deep breath and to bear with me because we're all humans here and I and I ask for permission to be human because when you're talking when you're getting into topics about you know abuse and homelessness and self-harming behaviors and you know different mental health issues like you know what it's like to love someone 
who has mental illness when you yourself struggle with mental illness as well. When you're talking about these issues, it does get emotional for everybody. And I always say, this is not business. This is very personal. It's personal for me. And I know it's personal for you if you're in my audience, not even, you know, not just because you may be one struggling with mental health issue or a loved one or a family member of one. Even if you're a clinician, it's not always business. It is personal because it does take a, a special, a certain type of person to work with individuals who require care, wellness care. It, it you know on all aspects of mental health issues and mental health ill mental illnesses um it, it it takes a lot of strength and love and consistency consistency is mandatory um that's when you ask you know about what's the most common question i get i i get asked more often than none what is the most important thing when caring for a loved one or a client or uh, a friend, a family member who has um, who has mental illness, the answer is always the same: consistency, because it's mandatory. Um, and there's so many things to be consistent about. There's uh, consistency in your presence, letting your yes mean yes, your no mean no. Also, setting boundaries um, and being mindful and aware of not only the person you're caring for, but also yourself. Because if you're not well, if you're not in a comfortable place yourself, that other person is going to receive that energy. And it may not go the way that you would like it to go. You may not reach that person in that positive way that you intend to, you know? So I think that practicing mindfulness, being consistent, those are the two major things when I'm asked that question what is the most effective or what is most important and caring for that person is it's just consistency well felicia there's also uh, a very difficult um, um i guess energy or feeling or emotion around this topic for society in general uh, let alone people who are actually living with those who have mental illness or have mental illness themselves or experiencing like the uncovery of what it could be that they're experiencing right because sometimes we just find out later on in life or it's an early onset we don't know um, but we we don't know exactly what it is but we do know something is off or something's wrong and it's very difficult to talk about it it's very difficult to uh, confess first of all first and foremost to yourself and then share that with others so you're in this field you're speaking about it you're you're being courageous and bold to share your journey and I guess you know I'm curious to know uh, was that something that you intentionally selected and chose that you wanted to do or was there an experience or mentorship or guidance that led you to step into this role and say you know I I, I can't be afraid to talk about this I, I need to talk about this the world needs to hear this um, and I'd, I'm just curious about, you know, your journey of how this became your thing, became your lane, became your passion. Now, this is where it gets emotional because it's, I've always journaled. I've always been a writer um, ever since I was six years old. And my second grade teacher handed me my first journal and said, hey, kid, write one paragraph. I just want all my, all my students to write one paragraph about something they wanted. And I filled up 
I took that notebook home for the weekend to do my weekend homework assignment. And I filled up the whole book all weekend about wanting a dog. So my first novel was titled, I Want a Dog. So that was, <laughs> <laughs> it literally was 100 pages. And I had to turn oh, it wow. on Monday. My teacher was amused, to say the least. And <laughs> she told me, you know, she said, well, just keep keep doing that because you're obviously good at it. You have a lot to express. Just keep doing it. So I did. And even, you know, it helped me even throughout the years of being um, abused and not knowing how to talk about it and not really, you know, I was afraid, you know, because coming from where I come from and in the black community, it's it's like normal to just spank your child back then. And, and just like, oh, you got a spanking. That's that's not abuse. But when it's taken a little too far and, you know, a spanking turns into an actual beating or you being put in a headlock and slammed against a wall, you know, that's not normal. That's not a that's not normal. That's not what we, you know, would consider a normal, uh, a regular, I guess, spanking um, <laughs> is what people would call that. Mm -hmm. That's called abuse. Right. And um, you you get to a point where you're trained to just not talk about that because nobody's really going to care. That's at least what you're what you're taught to believe that what happens in your house stays in your house. And I remember that my first speaking engagement, I did not even know that it was a speaking engagement. It was a, um, a work thing for my, my mom um, when I was a kid. And at the time I was being abused, but you know how sometimes uh, they have functions at some of these jobs, these corporate jobs, they tell you, you know, bring your family to work day or something like that. Well, they had one of those going on. And I remember sitting back with my journal and I was just writing poetry and feeling all these emotions and disconnected from everybody else. And I, I heard one of the coordinators say to another one of their uh, their speakers that they had someone cancel on them. That there was there was nobody to talk to a, an audience of children for five minutes. There were children of the people who worked at the corporation that my mom worked at. And I remember thinking, well, they're just kids. I can just read some poetry. And um, and so I went to the lady and I said, if you don't mind, I can just read some poems. And the lady looked at me. She was kind of dubious. She was like, this, this is weird. She asked me how old I was. And I told her I was 12 years old at the time. And she was like, OK, I'll, I'll come find you if I if, if it comes down to that. So it did. <laughs> and I stood up in front of the audience wondering, what the heck am I going to read? And I remember I told my parents just before that I was going to participate. And I was so excited. And um, my abuser put me down. He really put me down and said, you know, this is stupid and really didn't encourage me to say, well, you're doing a good thing. And so I wrote this poem just before called Big Old Bully. Mm -hmm. And it was about this this person who was abusing me and who had just put me down. And I stood up in front of that audience and I asked the kids, is anybody in here being abused? And I remember everybody raising, like a lot of people raised their hand. And I would remember thinking, oh my God, I'm not uh -huh. by myself. There are people being abused. And I said, I'd like to read a poem to y'all about being abused. Wow. And uh, I'm sorry, not being abused, uh, being, being bullied. bullied. Mm -hmm. And I, and I read this poem, Big Old Bully. 
and it was a long poem. It was probably about four pages long. So, you know, I only had about five minutes to, to speak. That's all they gave me. And so I read the poem and then right afterwards, I was scared. Like I'm standing there shaking like, oh my God, because I read it with all this emotion. I had started crying and there was the silence. And then right after the silence, the kids, a lot of them who had raised their hand, stood up and started clapping. It was like a standing ovation. <laughs> and I remember being shocked. Like, oh my goodness, I, I just, I'm crying. And these people are, these kids, these other kids are relating to me. So afterwards, the, the coordinator lady who, came to get me she looked at me and she she hugged me and she pulled away and she looked she said that was really good and then she said are you being bullied and I had a moment right there mm, <laughs> wow. I had a chance to say something but knowing that my abuser was only a few feet away just outside the door I just shook my head and said no not anymore mm. and that was it but I remember that feeling that 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 of connecting with other people, standing up, opening up, and connecting with other people and encouraging them to open up just for me opening up. So when I was invited to speak uh, with alongside a friend of mine just about three years ago, I, I recalled that feeling again when she asked me, do you feel comfortable enough talking to a small group of children um, they're, they're between the ages of 10 and 15 years old, and that's around the same age I was. And they're, she's like, they're all foster kids, but they grew up in really violent homes. She's like, I know you could talk to them. I know you can reach them. Recalling that moment, being 12 years old, and thinking about talking to these kids, really, it didn't scare me. It, it was like, I have to do this. Yes, I will talk to them. Who else will that can relate to them? So I always tell people now from that moment on, my favorite audience to speak to are adolescents because I, especially the trouble, considered troubled kids, because I used to be considered one of them. And I just want to be the voice to them that I wish I had when I was younger. I wish that there was, when I was a kid, somebody had sat and had stood up in front of me and I was sitting in an audience and they asked me, you know, is anybody being bullied? Is it, does anybody feel this way? I raised my hand too and just, open myself up because somebody else will be encouraging me, telling me that it's okay to do that. So that's what keeps me going. It's just something that I say spiritually I was called to call to. That's it. Simple as that. And it was and it's easy because it's it's personal. It's not business. It's personal for me. That's very powerful. Felicia, for those that are listening to us now who are self-harming, okay? Um, I'd love for you to share your personal experience of how did you walk through that pain to come out on the other side and how did you overcome that? Uh, because sometimes it's great to hear speakers and to hear advocates and to hear coaches and mentors talk about where they are now but when you're in it, it's really great to see that you've survived and you're doing wonderful. I'm glad for you, but I'm right here and I feel stuck. And I really want us to kind of go to that place and share with people, you know, what it takes. What, what did it take you? Well, self-harming for me is an addiction. It was never something I shared with people 
I never showed my wounds or scars to anybody. Much like how, think about how people, alcoholics, um, when they say that they're 20 years sober, 10 days sober, you know, 10 minutes sober, it's, it's, it's about the same. It's like whenever there was a problem or they were triggered in some, in some way, they would pick up the bottle and start drinking. Not for not many people when they reach a point to use alcohol to deal with some some type of pain that they're feeling. Not everyone does it in public or always they're not always at a party, right? Sometimes they hide bottles and they drink alone in their room or in their home or something, and they're trying to escape a pain. That's what self harming was like for me. That's what it is like for me. So I can say, okay, I'm six years sober because I haven't, it's not that I haven't felt the need to hurt myself. It isn't like I haven't wanted to self-harm in some way. It, it's not even like I haven't been triggered. It's something I struggle with every single day. It's that I know that there are more powerful sources that I can reach out to, more powerful uh, things that I can do to help myself rather than turn to hurting myself. What self-harming does is just create permanent scars for temporary pain and it doesn't give any type of release in the long term because then follows the guilt, the shame, the feeling of, you know, I failed. And that doesn't help because it just makes you want to go back and start the cycle all over again. So, so Felicia, where, where do you get your support from? Where do you go to feel safe and that you're held and that you're going to be okay? And to, because this is something... You know, regardless of what, what challenges we have, all of us have to come up with routines and ways that we stay healthy and loving toward one ourselves and, you know, being kind to ourselves because it's not easy to live a human existence. Exactly. Um, so how, where do you go to get your support and how might you invite our listeners to find their support system and to build it and to seek it? Um and maybe places where they could start. Okay, well, for me, um, personally, it's always spirituality. It always goes with my faith. Um, that's for me personally. Um, and then I, I do have um, a husband who supports me very much. My siblings, my siblings and I, we've been, we went through this together. And to see them doing so well, we can support each other. We support each other all the time. We talk to each other. We make sure everybody's okay. And I think that constant communication and being open about it always and not pretending like it didn't happen. You know, we know it happened. We talk about it. We cry, laugh, scream together. Very important. Family support, friend support, most important um, up there with spirituality. And of course, my journaling and writing that's always been a great outlet for me. Um, it does provide that outlet that I know is healthy and that I can always go back and it'll always be there. My journals will always be there. As long as I have pen and paper, 
I, I can always let it out. Um, and then and the work that I do, it's very healing and therapeutic to be able to connect with other people. I always tell people the best part about being a speaker for me is being able to listen <laughs> to the stories of other survivors and anybody who may be caring for someone, a loved one of someone, even clinicians, if they want to share stories about their own experiences. This is always the best part for me because now I know I've connected with you, you know? Um, and so I encourage other people to find what it is that they have faith in. Stick with it. Um, forgiveness. Love yourself. But there are resources out there. Um, there's Personality Disorders Awareness Network. Um, they're pdan.org. That's pdan.org. They're a really great resource because they, they run a 24-hour uh, open forum on Facebook, on their Facebook page. And it can, there are links to their uh, their social media can be found on pdan.org. But I, I actually volunteer for them. I do a lot of speaking for them. And whenever I go to conferences, I bring their flyers and stuff and promote them because they don't just deal with personality disorders. They, they'll talk to anybody. If they, I mean, they have sections for families. They have sections for individuals. They even have support for clinicians. And it's all free. It's free. I mean, re this is a free resource that's global for anybody who has questions or who just needs immediate support. You know, so I think that's a great resource. And also there is the National Prevention, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline has, uh, you know, t another 24-hour open forum online. They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. Um, their phone number is posted online for people to call 24-7. Um, so I think those are two major resources that people can get to immediately if they need help or if they need support. Well, Felicia, thank you so much. This has been extraordinary, and I really appreciate the fact that, number one, you are now a part of the SOAR Community Network. We love having uh, individuals like you who really care about creating true transformation and change on an individual level and also uh, throughout our communities because a peaceful, loving, healthy person uh, transforms a whole society and community, right? Because if we're all feeling great and loved and that we belong, that we have something to offer to the world, uh, the people around us are happy and better because of it. And then that just continues to spread. So thank right. you for continuing to spread your love and your light and being so courageous and brave to put your story out there and to put your heart and soul on the line so that others can uh, be moved and shift and, and transform and maybe even save many lives. So I commend you for that. And we really appreciate you for the work that you do. Thank you so much. And I also would like for you to take some uh, time now to share with our listeners exactly where to find information about you, where they can purchase this book, um, and how they can reach you to speak with you, or maybe request that you speak to some of their audience and their youth, uh, or attend some of your workshops. Right. Um, my, my website is the best place to get in contact with me. It has all my links to Twitter, Facebook, um, and all my other social media accounts, my blog and WordPress and everything. And my website is www.feliciajohnsonauthor.com. And that's F-E-L-I-C-I-A-J-O-H-N. 
S-O-N-A-U-T-H-O-R.com, Felicia Johnson Author. Com. And also there is a resource and links page on there where you can find links to the uh, resources that I mentioned, the websites that I mentioned, um, PDAN.org and the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Also, there is a tab for my events. Um, and next month, May, I'm going to be in Ireland. So anybody in Northern Ireland, um, look up the Stamp, Stamp Out Stigma event um, where it's an event that's promoting uh awareness on suicide prevention and I'll be the keynote speaker there. So that's my next event, but all my other events are on there and there are ways to contact me um, through my email on my, through my website and my book can also be linked to purchase through my website as well. That's wonderful. And also just make sure that you like her book, uh, the, the page on Facebook. I see that you have uh, almost 5,000 likes there. Let's get that number up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Felicia, again, thank you so much for taking the time to share your experience, uh, to be vulnerable with us today, and to encourage our listeners that um, we are here to support them and meet them where they're at. And they're perfectly imperfect, just like all of us. Yeah. And there's a uh, room for love and light and hope in the world for them. And this is this is a community that really believes that. So we love to share resources and, and people who are doing amazing things and really stepping in on faith and choosing to live a life with purpose and legacy. And you are an epitome of that. So thank you for, thank you so for your gifts in the world. Again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. We love, love, love you. And the fact that you continue to come back and listen to to what we have to share and all the extraordinary people and leaders that are really changing uh, lives and transforming their communities. So I hope you'll tune in again next time and we will talk soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.